Munya, Munya, it is you. Oh my God. I just this morning heard about the sub. Just this morning, July 11th, Tuesday, the sub, your sub, it imploded over the Titanic debris field. Oh, I just heard this. I I don't know. I thought you were dead for the last one hour. For the last no, no, one no. hour of July 11th, I thought you were dead. Dude, you, have you been doing your meditations recently, Greg? Because, it, chill out, man. Just because I'm like gone doesn't mean that I'm dead. No, I mean, like I was just like at a layover in Britain. I decided to go down to, um, you know, the Royal Palace because it was like an eight hour layover. Right. So and it, it was the king's birthday that day. So we actually, I actually got to watch the Kings like birthday with the red coats doing their funny little arm movements and stuff. And, you know, I was so enamored by it that I actually, uh, went back to Gatwick and missed my flight. So I decided just to go straight to Greece, uh, and just kind of skipped over the, um, sub, which was a shame, you know, but it was, it is what it is. It got more time to spend in Santorini and, uh, you know, it was, it was a nice time. So, you know, honestly can't complain. Um, you know, maybe next time. Fucking typical. Welcome back to Mechanical Freak. From Seattle and New York, those two cities of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. And uh, I'm Greg. I'm here with Munya, who, I mean... Hello. I'm probably the only one who was really worried about uh, Munya dying for the last hour <laughs> since I heard about that sub going down uh, on, on July 11th. Um, that sub I thought you were on, but... Uh, you know, I guess no one else will be surprised because uh, you you do you lead that charmed life, Munya. Hey, man. You know, I I, I just go out through life. Uh, just whatever comes to me comes to me, man. And uh, that th- th- that's all I can say. Well, I, okay. So, how was Greece? How did you have a nice time? I I mean, the seeing seeing the uh, the king. Uh, the ancient decrepit king sounds fun and all and the all the red coats the 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 beef eaters and the the guard the whatever they are the guards like they're not the beef eaters what do they call the ones in the big tall hats i don't fucking know um yeah well it was that it was the tall hat people Anyway, Which, that sounds you know. great. But um, for the rest of the time, you were chilling yeah. on a beach in Greece or something? Yeah, yeah. I was chilling on uh, Santorini Island in Greece. Uh, went there for yeah, my friends from college uh, wedding. We all studied abroad there over the summer. And um, they met at that program. So we, they decided to come back to where it all started and get married in Greece. And, you know, I was like, man, I don't know when I'm going to be able to, you know, go to Greece again. I might as well make a trip out of it. So, you know. My partner went down there. It was really fun. Um, but it was relaxing because, you know, when I usually like to do a lot of things, you know, when I travel, try to hit Visit as many Titanic. cities as possible. Visit the Titanic. Exactly. Right. Like, you know, you just can't do it all. And sometimes the Titanic just has to be put on hold, um, you know, next time again. Uh, but I think yeah, what was that um, CEO guy like on the all the other trips you went down there with him on? <laughs> a little erratic, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of out there. But, you know, everyone uh, was just like, damn, he's just kind of like uh, Elon Musk. He's a genius. And that calmed everyone down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no. Uh, yeah. I mean, Greece was really nice. Um, the island was nice because we kind of just got to chill out, relax and uh, got to explore. got to see some Venetian castles when Venice was around back in like the 12th century. Um, yeah, right. no, it was a, it was an awesome time. Uh, and then I got to go up to Athens and Athens was really interesting because Athens was just one day and, uh, got to go to a lot of different historic sites. We were just kind of doing a speed run. Um, you know, there was some hits and misses. I'd say the hits would be the Olympic stadium. Uh, that was really, really cool. Like the first ever mm. Olympic stadium still intact and still like, you know, yeah, it was like, that was really awesome. Um, and, and like and the, every other uh, Olympic park mm-hmm. in the world, uh, 
you know, no sports actually happening there. Just, just, just taking up urban space. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, somebody's, somebody's shanty town was cleared out uh, to make room for that. And there it sits. You know? Yeah. It says there, I think, uh, I think, I think Prada had a, had a fashion show there, uh, you know, but I don't think it's actually equipped for like a, you know, actual sports stadium anymore. Like the, it's like, the material is not like folding chairs. I'll tell you that. Like it's uh <laughs> it's the real, like, you know, uh, concrete marble type, uh, type seating that they got going on there, which is cool. But, um, no, it was interesting because while going through all of that, um, you know, I had a little Tom Friedman moment and I know everyone makes fun of Tom Friedman by uh, taking the temperature on society by talking to cabbies, but you know, my cab driver, <laughs> no, you have a cab yeah, driver story. I have a cab driver story. I do. I really do in earnest. This is not even a joke. I actually do have a cab driver story. Hell yeah. Oh uh, man. Um, it was funny because like, basically I was, we were writing and I see this graffiti on the wall that said, um, tourist fuck off we're in a class war and so i read that out loud because i was like wow that's like i i I don't that's not the usual stuff that i you know see around that's very personalized right (laughs) and so i kind of read that i was like okay yeah right on man and like uh the cab driver laughed and he was like oh man and starts uh kind of talking about you know tourism obviously because he's a cab driver but then talks about how uh, the protests that have been happening in Greece, uh, like semi recently, like I think like last year, he said this is like right to a run up of an election. Um, like when I was there, so I think that this was just like on his mind. But yeah, he was talking about how there was like unrest in Athens and how there were like you know like mass protests in the street about. Um, I think it was still about the same austerity protests that were kind of happening in 2016. He said that like stuff was like a lot worse back then just the country overall was in a much like worse place but you know greece still hasn't like been in a uh turnaround it's still like not great there um and so of course there's still like you know big protests but it was so interesting because as he was like kind of talking to us uh the story he was saying just rang kind of familiar so the gist was that they were protesting it was just a mass demonstration um, a lot of different people were there, right? Uh, but then some people set off some type of like, you know, firework type explosion, right? Not like, you know, like bomb, but like, you know, like some like firework, something that gave police the reason to completely violently break up this protest. And he was like, yeah, it turns out that, oh, it was actually the cops who set that off. And they lied about it, saying it was some people from the outside who, uh, you know, came in and, uh, you know, uh, caused a ruckus inside of Athens, right? And, um, yeah, and they basically, like, arrested a lot of people like, after that. They're like, stories about fucking up. Trojan horses and shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly, man, right? And, the outside um, agitators came in in a, in a big wooden gift. In a big wooden gift, yeah, and they gladly accepted it. <laughs> But, um, you know, I was just like so kind of taken aback by how just similar that story was, the exasperation. And so like the the how obvious it was then like who actually, you know, set off those fireworks, you know, how obvious it was that they wanted to start all riots. We mean literally all riots everywhere in the world, literally everywhere in the world. And like, and it, it just sounded so eerily familiar, obviously yeah. reminded me of 2020, but it also reminded me of, you know, stuff after that too, that, you know, we've all personally experienced and also covered, you know, on this podcast. And yeah, it was just so eerie how there wasn't, there wasn't even like a regional difference really to that story. It was, it just felt so um, uniform and how like kind of police behave and, you know, lo and behold, a day later, um, the story of France of a, a teenage boy getting murdered by police and subsequently, uh, you know, protests, mass protests popped off and the French police declared war on their own people. And 
threatened to even overthrow like the Macron government. Like yeah, all yeah, of this was so basically this, this like was we're going to do Day of the Jackal to you, uh, you yeah. know? Yeah, well, it, it was so funny because all the wild, wild shit happened when I was gone. And, but I was just like wasn't tap, like really tapped in on social media. Right. Because I wanted to actually relax and enjoy my time and not just like uh, be like lay hell world is bad. Um, so like this was during the same time where um, that Russian coup thing was happening. Right. And I remember even Brian like yeah. hit us up on the uh, DM and was like, Oh man, I'm like worried that the second greatest nuclear power, like this is the, fir- this is how I figured found out what kind of was happening. It was like, damn, I woke up to like the second nuclear power uh, might be like getting a, a, be in the hands of like one warlord. And I like looked at that. I kind of connected the dots, but I just put my phone down. I was like, eh, pass. No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting into this right now. <laughs> like <laughs> that, that sounds too crazy. But like all of those things were happening like simultaneously. I'm just like, man, like, you know, between like what happened in Paris and like how the police blatantly lied um, and to like how police uh, behaved in Athens, like from just like the story that I heard from the cabbie, um, you know, I'm just like, wow, like policing has really gotten so uniform, you know, and it's not just like, you know, unique to America anymore. It is become the American experience like globally where there's police presences now. Um yeah. I mean, it's like an important dimension of the conversation about like abol- police abolition, right? Is like that, you know, it, when you can get into talking about like, oh, the, the whatever particular factors like that actually need to be solved in American policing to like, you know, that could make it reformable. But, you know, you look around the world, it's like this system operates the same everywhere and it creates the same kind of psychos. And you can maybe guess or argue about like how much of that is like exported by America. But like at the end of the day, like they, it's because they serve a function for capital. Yeah. Like, like violence work against populations. You're going to create a bunch of fucking psychos armed and empowered by the States. This, uh, the, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, the French are going to be French. They're going to like get (laughs) upset when the state does something fucked up like you know murder murder a a teenager and you know the police unions though this this letter from the two of the biggest police unions was i think like one of the highlights for me um it's just a couple of excerpts here in translation of course facing these savage hordes asking for calm is no longer enough it must be imposed restoring the republican order and putting the apprehended beyond the capacity to harm should be the only political signals to give they're they're really pissed off about Macron like coming out and saying, Yeah, uh they probably shouldn't have just executed that kid <laughs> in like cold blood uh, on the street for no reason. Uh you know, just just saying like some normal shit. Uh and and they're like, uh the time is not for union action, but for combat against these pests, meaning like people in the street, you know. <laughs> surrendering capitulating and pleasing them by laying down arms are not the solutions in light of the gravity of the situation all means must be put in place to restore the rule of law as quickly as possible and it it does like again like just come back to what you're saying about the the greek cabbie like it it rings so so familiar thinking back to 2020 when it's like obviously like Cops start all riots. Cops kill people all the time in this country, certainly. And in that particular moment, people got really angry and something came together, which was like all the tools that the police have and all their their like built in sort of predilections and prerogatives to do like mass violence, to start riots, to start urban chaos, to uh, like fortify cities and terrorize them were all cranked up. Because the thing people were pissed at was the cops themselves. So it wasn't just like, oh, we can bring in the cops who can like stand there kind of dispassionately and just like use the strong arm of the state, you know, be like, gosh, well, we got to, you know, we got to clean these people out of downtown because they're protesting globalization or we got to like move this like union picket along because, you know, whatever fucking uh, corporation wants us to rather they were motivated because they are 
politicized. They are their own like political class at this point with their own power and prerogatives to defend that power and their own fucking outlook. And, and they they're challenged, right? Everyone's pissed off at them. And the reaction is just escalated to, to be more insane than even on a normal day or even for any other kind of protest. And so you had here the Seattle police department losing their fucking ever loving minds for not wanting a March to go past their precinct, abandoning it, hoping it gets firebombed, like gassing, you know, a, a dense urban neighborhood for a week on end, like gassing the city council, just insane behavior, completely out of control. And in France, like the even almost in a way crazier, the, the police unions coming out basically like we're at war with uh, the, the pests, you know, which is like <laughs> a huge part of the population of France that are out in the streets, like <laughs> throwing um, all top cocktails at them and and the government like, you know, all for defend like uh, reestablishing the Republican order and the rule of law. And it's like what they mean is like their power and place in society and their version of order. And like they are so psychotic and so detached from any kind of democratic uh or uh republican in any sense uh you know control or constraint like and this is what you get like they're fucking nuts you know everywhere yeah yeah no exactly i mean th this is a chance for them as a political unit really to uh you know Consolidate and even like take more power. And it's not like you're saying, Greg, it's not necessarily an order that they're being given. This is just something that they're now, you know, just acting on their own accord, um, which, which is just so wild. But I mean, just tracks with what we've been seeing with the NYPD, SY, SPD and a bunch of other police departments in the States. Um, but it is, it is really amazing that instead of a, you know, the interesting thing about France is that um, instead of them beefing with their local mayors, uh, you know, yeah, they're just saying, uh, we're going to like just uh, basically do a coup on Macron. Right. And this isn't like the military. Right. This is like uh, the cops basically saying that we're going to we're, we're going to like challenge the actual government of the entire country. Yeah. Which is crazy because like, I mean. I could only really like uh, really f kind of flippantly and glibly analyze like what that means. But like, I, does does Paris have like a psycho uh, cop mayor? No, I'm going to guess <laughs> that they don't, you know. <laughs> well, Greg, um, let's uh, talk about my uh, psycho cop mayor uh, right here in New York. Uh Mr. Eric Adams himself uh, has had some uh, hits recently. Uh, I think when I was gone, he uh, there was a woman who I think uh, was uh, questioning him on uh, on justification and displacement, and um, he called her a plantation owner for asking yeah. questions. Uh, she turned out to be like a Holocaust survivor or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's fucking yeah, awesome. I mean, <laughs> but no, I mean that that reaction of him, like. Is yeah, it's insane. Like the cop mindset, it's right there. Like you challenge their authority in the smallest way, and it's like it's like he's back on the beat. Like, and you're like telling him to fuck off, pig. Like when he tells you to come over, right? Like because the and he just he keeps going, right? Like it'd be one thing, like if he just said, like you know what, don't point at me, treat me with respect. Yeah. It's almost like a yeah, New yeah. York like New York like respect thing, like. But he just keeps right. saying it over and over again like a psycho. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, and going into this like, yeah, like, don't point at me like I'm on the plantation. Like, man, he just keeps going. <laughs> he, and like, he's just like, uh, yeah, it was like there was this like an AI loop or something that right, just that, kept that on it's hitting. Like, it's that you get that like you can't hide the real anger and real frustration under some just like New York asshole kind of attitude. Right. It's like, you can tell like he's breaking. He's like, he wants to throttle her, you know, yeah. like he's losing his fucking mind. And like, 
and he just keeps doing it. He just keeps losing his fucking mind. Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city and treat me with the respect I would I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on a plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation up here in Washington Heights. Treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man and I'm gonna walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Go to the next table. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened. And then uh, a story came out where um, Eric Adams, you know, he has photos, I'm sure, during his time in the police, has taken photos and, uh, you know, sometimes stores photos, too. And um, this photo in particular was of a fallen officer. And, and he used that on the campaign trail a lot, saying that he always keeps a photo of this fallen officer in his pocket for many, many years, even decades, I believe. And um, turns out that that was actually a complete lie, um, that Eric Adams was holding this photo that his campaign staffers used during the campaign uh, of a random person. No, Eric Adams does not know this person. Wait, they he splashed- wasn't even a cop? He wasn't even a friend well, no, of Eric no. Adams? No, no, okay, he wasn't even a friend okay, of Eric Adams. This part I hadn't even heard yet. Yeah, no, I mean, like that Eric, it doesn't like the family was like, you don't like know this person like this. It was like, um, yeah, there, that, that was like a dimension of the story where um, not only like was that story completely fake. But yeah, the guy is like, it's it's not none of it was really real. Like what happened was they took a photo, um, basically like put coffee on this photo like, to make like it look when you make old a treasure map. and wrinkled. Yeah, exactly. They wanted to make it look old and wrinkled and they used the city <laughs> funds to do all of that. And there's like, you know, paper trail of like, you know, requests and like demands of like the campaign staffers to, you know, make that so that he could tell that story. That's so um, fucking cool. And then to double yeah. down on it, like, that's so <laughs> fucking psychotic. Like, these people, man... Th- <laughs> They're out of they're fucking out of their minds. They're, they're absolutely out of their minds. Uh, this is just unlike, you know, people like there's some takes being like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Eric, Eric, he's he's just a loon, a goo, like a just a crazy guy. Like, and like, yeah, but, you know, this comes from somewhere. This is taught, right? This does, this isn't just like I actually as much as Eric Adams himself is quite frankly, um, like a freak. And someone who even like when you think about a right wing conservative mayor um, just has like a bit of a different flavor, uh, you know, to it than others. And let's say like, you know, like Mike Bloomberg had had his own thing. Really, Giuliani kind of had his own thing, too. Um, Eric Adams, I think this behavior is not just informed by his just eccentric, uh, weird personality but i think it's informed by his profession as a cop and how cops consistently use the media to peddle their lies and do it very effectively and the media complies right or or some are coerced to do it effectively right it it is effective it's effective because the media will like carry water for them until they absolutely can't anymore right so it doesn't so it can be lazy right like it always is so you can just like make up a guy and like have someone like make a little treasure map photo and like no one the the you know the press won't question it until like you know for years apparently fucking insane yeah exactly i mean you know and cops and people in power do use the media to lie to us um all the time. Uh, and this is just like, I think another way of how, you know, they get away with it so much that that story probably, I mean, that story didn't even break until now. Right. Like that, this was on the campaign trail. Um, gosh, I mean, was the election, uh, over a year ago now, uh, it's, it's been a while, right? Like, so this is like just one of many examples, but this is what you get when you have a cop as a mayor, you know, like you, you, you have someone who behaves like a cop who has all authority, who is not really interested in governing, right? Like, um, in the traditional sense, um, 
we get psychotic pathological behavior yeah which only comes from being in a position and being the the arm of the state essentially um and being empowered by the state so this is just like you know the merging between you know cops and the and the actual you know state power is we now have a cop running the most important city in America um yeah and this is kind of what we get yeah and what breaks my brain is that like the New Yorkers voted for this guy like the, I mean the this the election wasn't necessarily that close you know like I, it, and I felt like you know the discourse now is like how did he get elected how was this happen is like yo I mean God, there were so many people who uncritically you know as much as capital plays a role as much as how we know elections are such a sham sometimes and you know of course city politics and local but also like you know um there there's a lot of people i think who were just like not critically thinking about this election at all and just elected Imagine him voting right for a cop. yeah i mean he, me, people man. people filled in eric adams name and that's what was like is really like troubling to me is that he actually did get elected to be mayor. He passed the yeah. primary because they do close primaries. So he won the democratic primary. Um, and, uh, yeah, then got elected. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. I mean, you know, dear listener, y- you may wonder why does the liberal state, why do the birthplaces of the, of liberal revolution, the, the homes of, Liberté, egalité, fraternité, and life, <laughs> liberty, and property. Why do they tolerate this psychotic, uh, you know, politically unified right-wing, like political class of psycho armed psychos, like as part of the structure of the state? Like, why do they allow this? Uh, and it's very simple, you know, like. The them starting these riots and them like just being psychos and killing people is at most the cost of doing business. Sometimes it's exactly what you need, but even when that isn't what you need, what you need is them doing their actual job, which is harassing poor people, which is the story that's on everyone's lips in Seattle today. What this this is Tuesday, I guess like the the all-star weekend extravaganza here is like wrapping up shortly, I think. Uh at uh say uh at T Mobile Park, whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. <laughs> um and so I guess yeah, you know, you may not have been following this, Munia. You've been out of town here. Munia, I just want you to take a look at this photo. I want you to go immediately right down to the very bottom left and just read where it says source. Okay. Very bottom left. Okay. Of the photo. <laughs> All right. Um, the source is the Seattle Department of Transportation. Yes, and it's this pr- as printed in the Seattle Times. Now, as you can see, this is a map of the downtown area, the green path to the ballpark. And if you would just go ahead, Munya, and read the text there, uh, explaining the purpose of the map to all the. Uh, baseball fans go, you know, tourists in town for the all-star game, uh, locals who want to check out the festivities down at T-Mobile park. Sure. Um, the title is the green path to the ballpark. Baseball fans are encouraged to follow these paths to T-Mobile park and other all-star week destinations. They highlight the Pike place market area while bypassing squalor along third Avenue. Uh, <laughs> that, that was seriously published uh, in the Times. This is a map from uh, the Seattle Department of Transportation. Well, what's extra funny about this too is like you know if they're really you know going down that route. Um, this route goes through um Third and Pine, you know, so it's like um interesting there. But anyway, uh, they just had to get that dig in, I guess. Um, but to bypass the squalor. The the bogs uh, on Third Avenue, <laughs> the vermin, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, or really just the yeah. uns- the unsightliness, right? It's just like you know that shit you don't want to yeah. see the pores, yeah. Just bypass, bypass. It's like that. ah, my eyes, ah, yeah. No, don't God, worry, you go on Second Avenue. 
Listen, I, oh, I, I, I can't say for sure about Third and Pie and Munya, but like what's been going on here over the last week is uh, a series of you know, massive sweeps uh, of the unhoused and poor people from all these areas. Um, so um, go, The Stranger has covered this very thoroughly. This is from Hannah Krieg and The Stranger several days ago, I think Friday, the start of the weekend. The city conducted another Soto sweep. Oh, it's uh, titled The City Sweep Soto Ahead of All-Star Game. The city conducted another Soto sweep Thursday morning on 3rd Avenue and Holgate ahead of the long-anticipated All-Star Baseball game at T-Mobile Park next week. For weeks, mutual aid organizers have sounded the alarm about the city pushing out unhoused people to free up parking and to impress the 100,000 people projected to visit Seattle during the games. They argue that the recent removals uh, clearly demonstrate what they've known all along. The city sweeps unhoused people for cosmetic purposes and not as a legitimate strategy for solving homelessness or for bringing people inside. Mayor Bruce Harrell's office denied any connection between the sweeps and the all-star game. A spokesperson said (laughs) the unified care team uh, uses and quote, objective prioritization matrix, unquote, to help determine the encampments that most urgently need our attention. That objective prioritization matrix includes meetings to discuss factors such as shelter availability, public safety concerns, and pedestrian access. The spokesperson added that the city is focused on Sordo for more than a year due to high concentrations of RVs and tents. Of course, I mean... You know, you can guess and everybody knows and it doesn't matter that the city's story is bullshit. Like, obviously, they're sweeping people out of uh, of the area because of the big tourist sports event. Um, they had a, they uh, the some of the strategies kind of rock too. they they dropped a bunch of uh, temporary no parking barricades everywhere to go into effect several days like mid last week so they could go ticket everybody which is a a, a way that they you know they they close down parking so that they can you give people a few days warning with the barricades then you you if they're still there you can ticket and tow them away and then of course but you know that what that's going to do is get all these uh RVs off the street, not just for the unsightliness, or you know, around like travel corridors, but literally just to free up stadium parking, you know, which is like, I mean, of course, hey, I mean, that's what the that's what the streets are there for, right? They're for cars, and uh, the that last lane before the non sidewalk, that's for parking. So, I, I mean, obviously, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, some other details you might like this one, Munya. Uh, this one in the stranger from Ashley Nervoving. King County Jail to welcome all-star event attendees. Oh, SB- hell yeah, SBD man. increases patrols, <laughs> gets jail restrictions lifted, and uses SVU detectives to sweep homeless ahead of MLB all-star game. Uh, so, Ashley writes, SPD, in conjunction with the King County Sheriff's Office, helped prepare the King County Jail for any problems game attendees by lobbying the jail to lift booking restrictions for people arrested at the stadium. The lift also applies to other areas in the, quote, all-star event zone, such as Chinatown International District, King Street Station, and the Stadium Station. Existing jail booking restrictions prioritize incarcerating people for violent or sexual offenses, DUIs, or domestic violence-related arrests. King County Public Defender Anita Candlewall said Friday that lifting booking restrictions based on geography seems, quote, deeply arbitrary. The jail continues to struggle to hire enough people to keep it safe for people inside the jail, she said. So, you know, King County Jail, like like most jails in America, a place where people like die very frequently, um, is overcrowded already. So they have, you know, policies that uh allow the jail to determine who they can actually book and hold uh, based on, you know, criteria that's like whatever had like has been set. That's, you know, like, you know, violent offenders. So like if, if SPD shows up with someone who, you know, has been arrested for shoplifting or some bullshit, 
the jail can be like, I'm sorry, like we, you know, don't bother us with this shit, you know, give them a citation, give them a court date, whatever, not a problem. But like, there's no, there's no room in here. Uh, we need to keep like a couple of uh, corners open for, you know, someone to stand. If you actually arrest someone who's like uh, being violent or something. And so, but of course that's, you know, these are just, because of this is just like a, a stopgap, like bandaid measure to like really just keep the jail functioning properly. Like it's just something that can be like waved away as well. So now anyone, you know, uh, SBD wants to pick up and, uh, take over the jail can theoretically, you know, the, they've gotten the jail to say yes we will accept whoever you give us from <laughs> the all-star event zone incredible so basically it's a mass roundup of homeless people and they're using sporting events to accomplish that and like much higher numbers than they would be able to just on a normal day yeah and it's like you know, I mean, it's chicken and the egg, the dog wags the tail, whatever. It's like, are they using the sporting event to like really step up, you know, sweeping the houseless out of Soto? I, in some ways, it kind of really is the other way. It's like they, they, this is the city, the forces that run the city, the real estate, you know, interest, like always want to sweep as many poor people out as you can. They especially want to during a moment of national attention when there's national media and lots of tourists around that's especially when they don't want to have a bunch of you know pictures of uh people trying to exist you know um the point really is like this is what the cops exist for this is why the liberal state tolerates the potential you know downside and backlash of having this gang of psychos is around is because you can deploy them for this. And they have the, I mean, anywhere you go near the game, any of these stations, I mean, the pictures are insane. Like the number of cops is out of control. Of course, there's also pictures of cops just like lining the fucking rafters at T-Mobile, like all on overtime, just watching the game, you know, um, this is what they exist for, which is to be able to harass Poor people to discipline labor, to discipline the poor, to do whatever real estate or capital needs to be done with the population in a moment. They're there for violent population management. This is further highlighted this week with this little bit from the same article. Meanwhile, the city so highly prioritized the removal of unhoused people around the stadium that on Friday morning, SBD had two detectives from the department's special victims unit. It's not just on TV, folks. <laughs> one of whom investigates domestic violence cases, standing around waiting for one man to pick up his tent and move along. A police lieutenant with SPD's directed outreach unit, which typically works with the city's uniform, uh, unified care teams, stood around waiting as well. So this is three, like two detectives and a lieutenant with, you know, uh, waiting around for one guy to pack up his tent, who, I mean, any way you look at it, this massive deployment of cops in this effort to like sweep these people away and keep it clean and safe and whatever is like an indication of like what the police are for, what the priorities, but like, it's just a nice little highlight that, you know, a journalist caught two guys whose actual literal job is supposedly doing investigating special victims unit cases meaning like uh sexual assault and domestic violence like that's supposedly their job title which is like the thing that a lot of you know subjects of the liberal state a lot of uh, urban liberals included think the police's job is think that this is what police do it's like well they're out there stopping rapes from happening you know and then i mean that's a dumb thing to think but uh and then, you know, we don't really need yeah, this thanks, to tell us that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but like, but this just, you know, it it especially highlights like this was so important to 
the city to do these sweeps that apparently had no like specific time frame related to the game that they literally reassigned these detectives. Yeah, I mean that's that that's pretty crazy. Uh, but like you know, like to assign like SVU units to just like kind of help with uh you know this uh sweeping effort. Um well, it's crazy yeah. PR. Yeah. Like it looks bad, right? Like I mean, of course, I mean the Seattle Times is not going to write about it. Like Como's not going to talk about it, but the strangers covering it and it looks really bad. You would think, but I th- the next you know, part of that point is like they it doesn't matter. They don't care. Like Marihel can go out there and say, and it, whatever the the larger news media to the extent they feel they need to talk about this at all, they can say, like, some activists have accused our awesome uh cop-friendly mayor of like uh inappropriately clearing the poor out of uh the whole downtown and stadium area just for the all-star game the wink wink being aren't you glad our cool mayor is doing this and then then they can also say but obviously that's not true and he says so and they're not going to talk about the you know uh, did you know that even though you think cops are like out there stopping sexual assaults from happening they're actually just like enforcing <laughs> sweeping labor <people>. discipline <laughs> on the poor yeah just yeah. just, just yeah. hurting people you know yeah they're not going to talk about that shit yeah, no way. So just to sort of like, you know, put it all in context, like uh, last week, uh, this, okay, well, this was a KUOW story. I'll read you the headline here. Could Seattle see rent control? Uh, that That's the, um, <laughs> so whenever, what, the rule when media, like media 101 is like, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever you... Uh, the headline has a question. You could always answer it with no. The answer is no. Well, <laughs> yeah. they do follow it up here because KOW, you know, they're, they, they're not all clickbait, I guess. The rest of the headline is only if the state allows it. And, uh. Uh, oh, what does this have to do with anything? I don't know. Like, all these homeless people have to be swept away for the tourists to come. I mean, you know, uh, we we want, to, you know, we need more cops to do that, apparently, more and more and more and more cops uh, to solve this homelessness crisis. And yet uh, rent prices are what they are. And so, hey, uh, the only useful person in government in Washington state has more hits coming, you know, like always doing something good. Seattle council member Shama Sawant introduced a rent control bill on Friday that would regulate how much landlords can raise rents. The proposal would limit rental price increases to the regional inflation rate. Freeze the fucking rent. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said, quote, Seattle's housing affordability and cost of living crisis is the worst it's been in decades, and it's only getting worse, unquote. But there's a major hitch. Washington has had a ban on rent control since 1981. Uh, so once <laughs> rental control proposal is a trigger law that would only go into effect if the state ban is ever lifted. Now, she also, as part of this new introduction of this bill, started re- reaching out to Democrats in Olympia saying like, hey, I'm doing this. Uh, please uh, get rid of your stupid fucking uh, rent control ban. You know, after all, the Democratic Party does control uh, the entire Washington state government. And the. Um, and so she she like sent like a, a, you know, an open letter to like the the whole like Seattle area demo- delegation to Olympia. And, you know, predictably, they told her to get fucked, bitch, basically. I mean, there there's a whole uh, good piece Hannah Creek has in The Stranger on that. Um, that, that was just today. Uh, so, you know, maybe they'll pass that in Seattle. Maybe they won't. Uh but either way, like, you know, the Democrats control the government and they they're not doing that uh, or they would have already. So, I mean, it's just predictable uh, that, you know, it's still a tangible policy and it's something that uh, kind of brilliantly kind of puts the city council in a unique place where it's like, well, you know, this is not necessarily just all on us. Right. You guys could actually just pass mm-hmm. this, too. And this doesn't necessarily will have any consequences actually up to the state we can just basically say that we did our part right and you know lo and behold they'll 
that's not even acceptable, you know, for <laughs> the, the city council. So I think it's like good, but it's good, you know, I think it's good politics. I think it shows that it doesn't have this defeatism about it. It actually shows that, you know, you can still pass something and, uh, you know, then, you know, wait for the state to trigger once that is repealed. So, you know, I get that, but, uh, the Democrats are like not Shama Swan's friends, uh, as Shama knows, you know, and this just is one of the many examples of that. Uh, it's not a surprise, but it's, uh, something that is just always a reminder is that, uh, you know, we know what side the Democrats are on and they're, uh, you know, on real estate side, uh, often, and that comes in direct contrast with Swan's politics. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're not getting rent control, basically. And that's too bad because uh, you posted this in the Slack. I mean, this, so to dial back yet another click out uh, on this, you know, our homelessness crisis, the all-star game, like its causes. Um, uh, you posted this, I think, in the Slack from Bloomberg. Yeah. Black workers in the U.S. account for 90% of recent rise in unemployment. Oof. I mean, 90%, man. I mean, that like unemployment has, uh, you know, that line, I think, just in general, the unemployment rate has stayed relatively flat. But if you then break it out into like, uh, you know, race demographics over the course of, you know, a year or so, uh, when there's been a lot of layoffs happening. Um, yeah, apparently it is just like uh, black uh, and African uh, people getting laid off completely. It is black Americans, uh, you know, getting the boot and, uh, that 90%, I mean, that's just like, that doesn't, that's not just a, that can't just be a statistical, you know, anomaly. It's not just like three people, right? I'd like this is in all of America. It's statistically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ob- Obamanomics is back, baby. Like the unemployment rate ticked down in the article, it says it ticked down to 3.6% overall, but in that same period, it rose to 6% for black workers, right? So it's actually not even like outsized uh, of a broader trend, but it's actually completely inverse other trends. So while, you know, like white unemployment goes down, black unemployment is still going up, right? So... Yeah, and like you said, Greg, I mean, this is this is not new. This is not um, something that just uh, uh, recently happened. This is part of actually Obama's like core policies, which is why I get into arguments with a lot of liberals and black liberals about the actual impact Barack Obama has really had on you know black America and the black community, right? And what he's actually done beyond the optics of being the first black president, right? Like you know the most destruction of wealth in America for black Americans happened under Obama, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And that's not just, uh, you know, an accident or, you know, happenstance. Um, Obama just became president, not to say that other presidents wouldn't gleefully do the same thing, but, um, you know, Obama, uh, made conscious decisions as president to, um, you know, reorganize the economy uh, in a way that other presidents actually didn't have the opportunity to do uh, after the Great Recession, you know, there was a chance to really reorganize the economy in a lot more equitable and positive way. And, um, you know, people knew in 2009 that the decision would lead to dire, you know, consequences uh, when they didn't uh, bail out any of the households, but bailed out the big banks, right? Uh, to yeah. name one of many policies, right? Uh, you know, and empowering uh, ununionized the uh, gig economy to the point where now it's the dominant mode of uh, the service industry, which that kind of like happened under his leadership and empowered as well as, you know, a lot of other things. But, um, you know, we're just seeing kind of the fruits of that, which sometimes even happen after uh, an eight years of a term, right? Because these macro decisions really compound on each other. And now, you know, you know, Biden talks about Bidenomics a lot, but really, I mean, this this goes back to Obamanomics that was carried out by Trump and Biden at this point. Well, it's like, at the very least, it's like the whole the whole project, the whole like progressive project, 
the idea that like any there's any progress being made in this country for i mean at all but i think if you're gonna you know if you want to talk if you want to take the large view of progress in america of of the story of america in any period like look at the black experience in america and what it is there's you know this progressive myth of progress of you know emancipation the end of slavery of the civil rights movement the end of jim crow and then you know uh the uh the election of barack obama and the end of race in america and you know uh and every one of those is fraudulent like every one of those changed the terms of what it meant what the black experience was in america changed the specificity of it but it still left black america at the bottom of the class experience in america all these supposed strides forward and so you get this when any when anything goes wrong for the working class in america the people who feel it the first and the worst and the and the people who are not allowed to get ahead at all when anything is going right for the working class at all times is black america and i i just i you know i think if you want to understand like where we've been and where we're going like you got to disabuse yourself of these these progressive myths that and, and like i don't know how better to do it than to look at that than to understand that yeah like the the most the largest like destruction of black wealth since the civil rights movement since you know black america was able to build like the tiniest bit of wealth it was all wiped out and that was all under barack obama's uh response to the economic crisis and black America is still there. I mean, any uptick in unemployment and who is it? It's all, it's all black people getting laid off. It's, I mean, at at 90%, you basically have to figure like at every workplace in America, they're like, we got to downsize, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, pass the pink slips out to the black (laughs) workers we have here. Like, I I mean, like doing the brown paper bag. It's just like McKinsey consultants. They're like giving out brown paper bags. They're like, this isn't for lunch. I'll just tell you that. Yeah. Those cubicles and, uh, and, (laughs) and measure it against (laughs) these people. And like, that's, that's where we are in America. That's the, that's the state of America, post-racial America, you know, since we're hearkening back to the Obama, the Obama years. Uh, that's where we're at. And that this is all poverty and inequality that has, has people out on the street and it's, uh, it's police that we have to, you know, enforce this experience of class on everyone. And obviously, especially black America (laughs) to just keep it all going, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's a superstructure of capitalism and it's uh it's tr- extremely effective because it's uh you know race allows uh discrimination against and you know splintering of the working class right and to be able to hyper exploit people who are at the bottom and black has always meant that the only real like the race of uh you know black has always meant hyper exploitation right like in the legal code and so um yeah it's just a very effective tool of capitalism and of course we all want to you know hearken to a a goal of living in a post-racial society but um you know obviously that ain't it (laughs) It it's not it at all (laughs) yeah don't yeah don't uh don't get fooled into thinking like you know that these small uh you know these changes these strides that that liberals and progressives will tell you are you know going to change everything are you know actually matter you know no no i mean they they don't they never have it's just it's as as life evolves capitalism evolves too and the ways and means of exploitation evolve as well right um wage labor coming in and supplanting 
uh, chattel slavery um, is an exploitative, uh, you know, coercive system supplanting another. Um, but it's an evolution of that, right? The, the, those don't necessarily contradict each other or uh, show a level of, um, you know, progression in in a way, right? It's it's a form of slavery, um, and it's a form of exploitation too, right? And you know, as we grow, as society grows, uh, capitalism continues to develop and grow along with it. And uh, you know, it looks different. It looks different than before. But the dynamic of employer employee, uh, master slave, like those are still landlord tenant. Those are still uh dynamics that that are held right and um you know the only way to break that cycle is to break that system you know we can't these small wins um are within the context of these oppressive systems yep well i hope everyone enjoyed the ball game I uh, a premium soundboard. <laughs> damn, damn, we should have signed in. We should have signed in <laughs> to the account to get the organ the organ going. Yeah. Um Yeah, uh I'm I don't even really know what the all-star game is or oh wait, no, hang on, yes I do. It's where all it's where players from different teams like make a team and they play. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay, Greg, all right, yeah. All right, all right, I got it. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You got um, that. All right. I did know that. It came back to me. Um <laughs> Oh, wait, can I tell you one last story that's funny? Oh, please do. So I don't know, you know, like I'm kinda like uh obsessed with my health like i i kind of like i'm not really like okay like you know certain like doctors and shrinks i I might have like a diagnosis of health anxiety whatever the fuck that means um but you know like this is a big this is a big week because like i got a real ass diagnosis whoa what no let me in on this i got a disease my man what i have I have a disease diagnosed now, verified now, not just by symptom, other blood tests now, verified by genetic testing. I have a genetically inherited disease. It's very serious. Uh, deadly, actually, if not uh, caught. I'm I'm not fucking with you. I'm not fucking with you. Actually, actually deadly. I feel like there's going to be caught. a big punchline coming up. Now, now the... The only reason I know about it is because I'm a health nut and I demand I demand demanded last year at my physical a whole battery of extra blood tests that they don't just give you unless you like be like, no, I want them. And I had some I mean, on almost everything, I'm like I would be the healthiest 38 year old man in America, except for like a couple of little things. And Mm. it's like, "Eh, what is that? Eh." Well, come the next year it's the same despite the like little recommendations from the doctor how huh, maybe do this you know oh wait it's the same and they did a little more like extra like i asked for even more tests that they didn't give me a year ago and this year at my physical because it had the one test of the sort of category that they did do was weird they did all like four of this category and they all were like oh fuck that's fucked up and then there's like, okay, genetic testing. And Munya, the punchline is simply that the treatment for this genetic disease I actually have, I'm no shit, bloodletting. What? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I have the Celtic curse, the Irish disease, hemochromatosis. I suck up that oh iron. God. Suck up that iron. And no like, way. Like nothing. But that, that iron free, you know, Britain's got all the iron. That's where they mine. And there's none in the soil in Ireland, you know? And like, but my, but I could live off potato, like, like, like rotten potatoes coming out of the ground in Ireland because like my body will take every scrap of iron and like soak it up, you know? And eventually like all metals, it, you know, it's not good. They're bad for you unless your body's like literally using them for what it's needs to be using it for. 
Um, so the treat the treatment is li- the only treatment. It's just literally bloodletting, like just so I have pumping to do, out your blood. Right. So for the last year, I've gone back to you know I had I used to do this for health reasons. Also for health reasons, years ago I gave blood regularly because everyone has too much iron or a lot of yeah. you, can, you can be anemic too. But but I but then I I got out of the habit of it for various reasons. And I should have stuck with it because so, okay, so last year I started giving blood every two months when you're allowed to. And so it was supposed to like come down my iron numbers and they did a little, but not enough. And the doctor's like, oh, huh. Cause he didn't think I had it because my numbers weren't that bad because no one ever tests this shit and catches it this early. Most people know cause they hear from their family cause it's genetic. They're like, oh, go get tests. Of course my family doesn't fucking know. Um, <laughs> So now I have to get, so the treatment was bloodletting, but now I have to get a prescription. Like I have to go in and get like more regular bloodletting to bring the numbers down. You know, it's li- literally it's like wow. medieval. It's like, that's the treatment. Dude, what? Yeah. Bro, that's <laughs> crazy. I can't believe you. Fa- I mean, the health, health nuttery has paid off significantly. I mean, you look great, Greg. <laughs> Like that was the first thing we we noticed is that you look great once you got into your health health era. But well, 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 like I re I restarted my uh, health. I started a new health. I've been a health nut since my early twenties, but it's it's fallen off sometimes. You know, yeah. And I did. I have had a recent resurgence in health nuttery. Hence the getting so nutty that I was demanded extra a fucking like twenty five <laughs> extra blood tests from my doctor the last two like, years. This like uh, I paranoid, would not know I anxious, have this disease. Weird guy. <laughs> my whole family would not know that they might have this disease. You know because yeah. So yeah, dude, you like saved your whole family. Well, and myself because like it starts when it builds up, like my numbers were high enough that there's like, what the fuck, but not high enough that it's probably doing that much damage to my organs, you know, a little, but it's yeah. like it's mostly the liver at the earliest stages. And like, yeah, yeah, that shit, that's tough. It's tough. It, it can re you know, if you just take care of it. It can, it can regrow. So it's not really that bad. Um, but like, if you just, if I had, I'm already 38. Like if I just let it, if I just never asked for this shit, like gone yeah. another 20 years without finding out, I could have had like, for years and years like high iron levels like building up in organs and like doing damage to your heart uh kidney pancreas my uncle died of pancreatic cancer hmm Hmm. interesting interesting holy Uh, shit yeah anyway dude wow i mean that's that's a huge w yeah yeah, wow. I mean, the, also, I have a disease or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. But it's also yeah, just yeah. I just the funniest <laughs> part to me is that the treatment is bloodletting. Literally, there's nothing else to it. I mean, like, you just like, need to, like, like drop that reminds me. That reminds me of um, a, a dude who was like, uh, I think his nose like had some just like a blood patch on it. Right. Like it was it was like super puffy. And the doctors just put leeches on the nose, like yeah, like yeah. medieval times, you know, like just yep. like just put like they still do some like medieval shit, and you know, yep, no lot, hospitals all have leeches around for for yeah. a handful of things, yeah, yep. Maybe, maybe that could be a bloodletting maneuver, getting oh not enough. By I need to leech. lose like I need to lose I need to drop like a pint a week for like the next like few months to get like down into a really like good level, and then then I'll probably just like be able to give blood but you know a like kind of yeah. normal amount like probably literally just like normal every two months but um yeah anyway anyway i uh, hope you all enjoyed That's that uh, health not win also uh, only only a certain kind of like health anxious nut like is kind of like at, feeling like a win with a diagnosis but also yeah, i just right, yeah. you know <laughs> a, a, a lethal diagnosis too, something that when, could I kill mean, you you know when you're in a war with your doctor you know like yeah yeah right <laughs> no, not like really. i fucking I, told I, you it's great but yeah i mean my, my my friend is uh just got a dietitian and told him to go gluten-free because he's been struggling a lot uh with eating um like he feels like shit all the time and so i'm like i know a guy who might be able to give you some tips dude some health tips yeah, yeah dude yeah. you should try cutting out He's regular ass dairy too <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like the, he said that you'd have to do paleo if uh if gluten-free doesn't work so yeah 
Oh, he asked if he had any published works that he could uh he could read. I was like, I don't know if he's like a no, blogger no, that like that. Not, but I can, uh, <laughs> you know, but I I can direct him to my favorite uh, uh, health nut. <laughs> yeah, the uh, media the, the, the chiropractors. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. I mean, I joke. My favorite guy is the ex-chiropractor, self-taught nutritionist, Scientologist. Yes, yeah. Scientologist. Okay. <laughs> But uh, no, 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 no. I have legit guys. I have legit guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, love it. Love it. Is that, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Get some and, of Greg's uh, uh, ironed up blood. Any you anemics, you know, we could get a, we could have our side mechanical freak business. If you need a iron blood, uh, you know, we got you. This yeah, is I mean, not, it's going um, to the blood bank. It's going in the circulation, yeah. you know? The blood bank got you. This is not conspiracy to commit medical crimes. Uh, the blood bank got you. And they yeah, can sort it out. we're not selling blood. We're not selling blood. That's what undid the Puget Sound Blood Center. It had to be yeah. nuked off the face of the earth because they were, they concocted a scheme to sell blood in some kind of like market-based, you know, yeah. way to run the blood system. And someone noticed that that was flagrantly against federal law and they've been doing it for a year or something like oh my god Um, we're not doing that we're not selling fucking blood no but you can if you need blood in the next over the next you know year you might be getting mine because i'm going to be giving a lot of it all right uh well that was uh fascinating greg um shout out to your diagnosis your lethal diagnosis that you caught early because you insisted um really just incredible stuff uh and yeah Till next time, freaks. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>